Well, uh, good morning and welcome everyone. I'm sure uh, that at all uh, three sites this morning, Crossroads and Highland Park Service and 01 here at the Lake Forest campus, everyone's glad to be back in Chicago for snow in April and all of that. So um, I recently gave up after my second failed attempt to read um, the memoirs of a Colombian politician, a presidential candidate, who in 2002 was kidnapped by revolutionary guerrillas and held hostage for nearly six years in the Amazon jungle. Uh, it's, it's a book, it's a story, a true story that's got everything uh, to make it fascinating. Uh, I mean, you're trying to survive in the Amazon in hiding. Right, with all the challenges of living in, in the jungle, with all the, the diseases and the, and the bugs and the anacondas and the jaguars and all the challenges that they faced just from the wildlife. And then you've got all the intrigue that was going on, the, the, the sort of discomfort that existed between the revolutionaries themselves and between the revolutionary guards and the prisoners and the prisoners and the prisoners. And, uh, and then there was escape attempts, and there were rescue attempts, and all this stuff is going on. But I couldn't, I couldn't read it because of the uh, very self-righteous tone of this politician, of this candidate, who was convinced, just less than convinced, just was blind to the fact that perhaps not everybody saw things the way that she did, and that... Um, and that uh, she just didn't have any empathy. She didn't have any, seem, there was seemingly no ability for her to reflect on what was going on and think about other people and to learn from what was happening. And she just had a very self-righteous attitude. I'm very good at spotting self-righteousness in other people. So <laughs> perhaps she frustrated me because I was projecting. I'm not sure, but I just could not keep reading this. And and I, I actually went, uh, after I quit, I, I thought, man, why do I not like this person enough to keep reading this book and I looked uh, I looked up her up online and discovered that other books have been written about this uh, this eight years when they were held hostage there were some American business contractors that were part of uh, part of the hostage team and they wrote a book and basically they said you know being held hostage by these revolutionary guerrillas in the Amazon you know deprived from her family was bad but given a choice between that and spending more time with this woman we would choose that again Uh, she was worse than than the hostage situation so in that sense she's a helpful illustration for what Jesus is speaking about uh, today, the truth is, if we want to find the quintessential example today of the Pharisee, of the religious leader, of the of the self-important, self-righteous windbag, it would tragically be me. I would be in the center of that bullseye, but I'm not quite willing to go there yet. So, uh, let me just say, Jesus' teaching about his kingdom. Uh, he's not campaigning, <laughs> tragically. We wish maybe he was, although I'll just say everybody always thinks that Jesus' politics would mirror their own, and uh, somebody's wrong, and he generally tends to be very disruptive when you actually hear what he has to say. Uh, he's not campaigning. We will not have a chance to vote for him. He's not running for president. He will return as king, so we don't have a chance to vote on that, but we can pray. We do pray, thy kingdom come. We are looking forward to his 
rule and reign. And right now, he's explaining what that kingdom will be like. He's talking about the vision and the values and the ethic and the love, how it's supposed to look and work. And uh, he does this in part by his example, but he also does it with these stories that he tells called parables, small story. We sort of get invited into this world and hopefully we learn the lesson before we realize <laughs> that it's about us and that we're, we're the ones that, uh, that he is uh, sort of undoing here. So this is a very disorienting parable. And the people who heard it the first time would just be shocked. So you've got, you got two people. And one of them is the Pharisee. And we, of course, hear Pharisee through the lens of Jesus. If we're familiar with the term, it's because the Pharisees were arrogant. They were religious do-gooders. They were smarmy. They were, you you don't like the Pharisees because Jesus was always undoing them. And that's fair, except um, that was not their reputation. And he was seeing through the veil what, what would have what would have been the reputation of a Pharisee is somebody who was really trying hard to be good. Upstanding community leader, generous with their money, showing up to serve all the time, helpful in any way they could be, right? That's who the Pharisees were. Yeah, you know, you probably wouldn't invite them to a party. They could be a little holy roller. They could be a little heavy handed. They could be a little over the top. But but you trusted them, they were honest, they were trying hard to do the right thing. And they just were a little bit proud of that. But they tried to keep that under wraps too, as much as they could. And Jesus just sees their heart. So they're good guys. The other people he talks about are the tax collectors, who are beyond bad guys. Because the Romans would... You know, the Romans are in charge of the whole, essentially the whole known world at this point. They've conquered everything. And when they would conquer an area, they would just, they would accept bids for tax districts. So you could say, well, I want Highland Park, or, you know, I want Libertyville, or I want, you know, Lake Bluff. And, and basically, the, the contract, the franchise is given to whoever promises the Romans the most money. <laughs> and then, you do whatever you jolly well want. To get as much money out of people as you can. And whatever you get over what you promised, you keep. So don't think, you know, IRS agent, a little geeky, you know, a little, uh, a little bit of a, of a nerd, accountant, quiet, goes to the office, operates under a legitimate system, there's a tax code, there's appeal process. <laughs> no. You gotta think, this was the, this was the, the kid that beat you up on the playground right? This was the thug in high school. This is the guy who, who threatens to break your thumb unless you give him your lunch money, right? And punches you out and, and is just unruly. These are the heavy-handed people who would be able, almost in, a, you know, in an underworld kind of way, to get whatever they wanted out of people. And so they would show up at your house and they'd say, hey, wow, uh, Jeff, I heard that you got the Johnson account. Great. I'm here for 25% right now. And next week I'll be back for another 25%. Half for you, half for me. By the way, so you got a new car. Great. I'm taking it. And what were you going to have for dinner tonight? And they're opening your refrigerator and they're taking food out. And when you start to protest, they say, seriously, you're going to protest? You know what? Uh, I'm taking your daughter. 
right? I mean, and they've got the power of the Roman government behind them. You hated these people. In addition to the way they're just running roughshod over you, right? They're traitors because they're working for the Romans, the, the, the oppressing government. And they're selling out their own people for the, for this profit. So you hate the tax collectors. And so he tells this story about good guys and bad guys, except <laughs> the people you think are going to come out looking good are not the ones who do. So I'm reading Luke 18, beginning with verse 9. The first few words are Luke giving us the context. Very important. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness. Okay? So those who think they're good, to those who think that they're, you know, certainly better than average, those who think, I'm, you know, God is pleased with me because I'm, you know, I, I go to church, I'm in a small group, I volunteer, I wear a cross, I'm, I'm doing the right thing, right? I'm better than, yeah. To those who were, to those who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So, if you're a first century Jew hearing this, you think, okay, religious leader, community leader, good guy, I trust him. Scum, horrible, deplorable, I'd kill him if I could. Okay, Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So uh, fasting, uh, nothing to do with fast food here. This means they, they're giving something up. They're giving up food. A fast is, is when we do something uh, we give up something good, something legitimate, uh, in an effort. We're going to do what we can do in an effort to, to place ourselves in a position of humility and need before God that is even more pronounced with the hope that God will do what only he can do. Right? I, we can't change our heart. We can't make ourselves better. But there are things that we can do, and fasting, giving up food to spend more time in reflection and prayer would be one of those things. So they're fasting, and they're tithing, they're giving, they're giving their money. So he says, I, these are the things that I do. Here I am, I'm at the temple, I'm praying, I'm, I fast, uh, I, I'm, I'm generous, I'm not like these other people, I'm not robbing, I'm not, I'm not doing evil, I'm not committing adultery, and... Uh, I'm glad that I'm on the right path. Right. So there's a little, uh, little self-righteousness there, right? Um, he's, there's a lot of eyes in this prayer. <laughs> and uh, it's a little bit of a boast more than it is uh, a prayer. So, but again, in fairness to the Pharisee, right? He was trying harder than you are and than I am. Right? I mean, he really was. So he's, he's doing all the things. If, if God says do X, he would do 2X. If God said don't do Y, he would say, I'm not even going to be in the zip code of Y, right? I mean, he was, he was trying really hard. So he prays, I'm, I'm, thank you that I'm part of this group and that I'm headed down the right path. <clears throat> the tax collector 
stood at a distance, he would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay, very different posture. By the way, this prayer is one that, that uh, especially during the Middle Ages, uh, the medieval church really taught a lot. That one of the part of the cadence of our life, a, a prayer that we, we can pray over and over, is just simply, Lord Jesus, Savior, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? It's just, just, <clears throat> just a short little prayer. Right, Lord Jesus, <clears throat> you are good, you are holy, you are awesome, you are righteous, you are loving, you are gracious. You, know, you are God. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I, I've done it again, or I've not done what I should have done. I messed this up. I can't, I can't get it right. Lord Jesus, Savior, have mercy on me, a sinner. So um, there is this contrast, and then Jesus says, I tell you this, uh, I tell you that this man, so he's talking about the tax collector, the thug, the brute, rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the word justified is a theological, quasi-religious, quasi-legal term. And to be justified, as opposed to being sanctified. So sanctification is the ongoing process in which we get made better. We actually become better. Justification is sort of a legal declaration that we are, we are going to be viewed as better. Okay? So uh, Paul writes a lot about this in Romans and in Galatians, but uh, he just notes 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 12 is a good passage to look at. This, the, great, uh, the great exchange. So there is a, a moment when somebody humbles themselves, when somebody realizes that they're broken, realize that they're a sinner, realize that they need help from God, and humbles themselves and confesses their sin and, and places their faith in Christ, calls out to Christ for his help. And, and Paul writes about that great exchange. So the sin of that person is transferred to Jesus, and the goodness of Jesus is transferred to that person. And, and when that happens, at that moment, then we are declared righteous. And, and the way it works is that when God looks at a person who has been justified, then, then he sees his son, not their sin, right? Because there has been this cosmic transfer of guilt and righteousness. So, uh, so Jesus says, I tell you that this man, This bad man who is humble and is calling out for God's mercy, he goes home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be numbered, humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So uh, there are a number of things here that that, uh, we can, of course, learn. Let me just briefly say, if I, I doubt that you're sitting there thinking that you're better than the person you're sitting next to. Maybe you are, uh, but I doubt you're thinking that. But, but you probably do think that you're better than some of the people out there, right? So what that means is that you're a Pharisee, right? 
I just assume that I'm speaking to Pharisees. Uh, and I'm a Pharisee, right? I mean, that's just my assumption. That's, that's who comes to church, right? We're the, we're the Pharisees, right? We're the ones that Jesus is speaking to. And so I just assume that. We're, we, we feel like we are doing better than other people. And Jesus goes after that. So we, we've got to understand the kind of radical humility that God is looking for in us. So let me just make this today as, as simple as I can, because this is a huge point. The premise that we get is, uh, is based on this idea that God made us for himself. Okay? We exist for God's glory. God doesn't exist for, for us, right? We exist for him. But, tragically, we are out of sorts with him because of our brokenness, because of our sin, because of our pride, our ego, our greed, our lust, our anger, whatever. We are sideways with God, and we fall short. If you go to Six Flags or Disney, there's usually, a, you know, somewhere in the line, there's a, there's a little stand, there's a little cartoon character, and, he's, and there's a little bubble next to him, and it says, you've got to be as tall as me to ride this ride, Right? So here's the deal. Uh, there's, a, there's a line, and it's way up there, and it says, you've got to be this tall to be right with God. You've got to be this tall to get into heaven. You've got to be this tall to be forgiven. You've got to be this tall to gain eternal life. And we're not that tall. <laughs> so that's just, that's just the way this starts, because we're broken. So uh, tragically, this means we're disqualified. So then the question becomes, how do we become qualified? Well, there are two big approaches out there, two thoughts. The one is the religious thought. And religion, in its essence, are the things that we do in order to get right with God. Good things like serving or giving money to the poor, uh, religious things like going to a service or wearing a cross or dressing a certain way or or partaking in religious activities like we're about to do in a, in a little bit with with holy communion right so you, so there's people that sort of check the box I'm getting all these religious credits for doing these religious things there's also some ideologies that would suggest things that we would say are horrific right in an effort to please God, I'm going to try and kill people who don't see things my way. I'll, I'll be a suicide bomber, right? So in the name of, of religion, people do all kinds of things that they think are going to help them be right with God. So I'm, I, some of you know, I'm, I'm working on a book right now for the fall. And it's different than the other books I've written for the fall campaigns in that this is not a book primarily for you. Uh, I'm writing this book for myself if I were not a Christ follower. It's a book designed for you to hand out to people to use to invite them to be part of your small group, to be part of the campaign. And I'm looking at the future, not the book of Revelation or Daniel or prophecy or any of that. I'm just trying to look ahead at the future and, and see what's happening. And, and so it's been a fascinating year of studying this, and I'm not going to give too much away other than to say most people who do this for their day job, uh, or historians who often do this, will say, what you've got to figure out are what are the big 
drivers that are going on right now that are so big that they're just changing everything. And uh, Martin Marty at University of Chicago, I interviewed him shortly after 9-11, and I asked him, the churches were packed, and I said, is this going to continue? What's your thought? He's a church historian. He said, no, it's not going to continue. He said, this was an earthquake. And he said, when earthquakes happen, it gets everybody's attention, but immediately people go to try and put things back, right? You start to clean up the mess, put things back on the shelf, rebuild the house, fix the cracks in the plaster, and it goes right back to the way it used to be. He said, people pay attention to earthquakes. They miss the glaciers. And he says, the glaciers are things that are so big and so monstrous, uh, but they move so slowly that you stop seeing them. They just become part of the landscape. And you don't realize how significant they are or the fact that once they go through, everything is different and you're not putting it back together again. So he said, I've, I focus on the glaciers. And so I've been identifying the big glaciers you know, globalism and capitalism. And, and uh, there are just a number of these things that are, that are really radically different today than they were 50 years ago. And they're changing. They shape the way we live. One of them is that religion is surging around the world. And this is very surprising to most people because the thesis coming out of the Enlightenment, the secularization thesis, said that as soon as people get educated, they'll stop believing Religion will die down. But it's not dying down. It's surging around the world. And they're very confused by this. Well, I'm not confused, right? Because uh, secularism is too thin to provide meaning for life. And additionally, we know, right, there's a sense that there is there is more than this. There is, and that we are moral beings and we are, we are responsible for our lives. And additionally, when we're honest, we get that we're falling short. And when we learn, as this book makes clear, in the Old Testament it makes it clear with the law that is given, which is not just given so that we, we understand what we're, we're supposed to do and life works best when we follow it, but it's also given so that we get that we can't get it done. We keep failing. We keep falling short. We keep measuring ourselves against the line and saying, I'm not that tall. I can't do it. When we understand God's standards and what it means to enter into a relationship with the Holy God, we get, (laughs) I'm in trouble. The Bible is always making this point. In the Old Testament, through sacrifices and the law, in the New Testament, Paul's is very clear, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So now we've got this issue. And so People are religious, and they try to do things to please God. The problem is, it doesn't work. So you've got the religious option. You've got the Pharisee's option. I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm giving my money, I'm doing everything I can. But you've also got the grace option. So Christianity pivots on grace justice is getting what you deserve. You're speeding on the way home, the police officer pulls you over, it would be justice if you get a ticket. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You're speeding on the way home, the police officer pulls you over, he gives you a warning. That's being merciful. You're not getting the punishment you deserve. Grace is, you're speeding on the way home, police officer pulls you over, he gives you $10,000. And he says, you know what? You're guilty, but I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. Right? It's It's crazy. So, The Christian faith pivots on grace. It pivots on this idea that uh, 
that God is going to reach down to us as opposed to us reaching up to God. But what is required for that to happen is for us to realize that we need God's help. And if we approach this from a position of saying, I'm doing pretty well, I'm better than so-and-so, then we're done. We're in trouble. It, we're, we're, we're DOA. We, we can't get it done. We have to understand our own brokenness, sinfulness, fallenness, in order to lean into the offer that we get from God of his son who will pay that debt. So <clears throat> I want to I push on this with the two things that I think make it as clear as I can possibly make it. So one of them are uh, some equations that I have uh, that I have used in the past, and uh, I share these to say I've tried to reduce entire worldviews and philosophies down to just just a, a simple equation. So there are four of them out there. One of them says good works equals God's favor now and later. If I'm a good person. Right? If I do nice things to other people, then God is pleased and he will bless me. And I'll, I'll get a promotion and I'll get good parking. And if the, those things are not happening, it's because God is not happy with me. And if, if I, and if I do the wrong thing, if I'm disobedient, then God may send cancer to my, my niece, right? Because it's, there's this equation that's going on. And it's complicated, but basically, if I'm good, good things will happen. So if bad things are, not, are happening, then, then it's because I'm bad. Okay, so that, just, you want one word to describe that? That's karma, okay? That's Hinduism. That, that's, that's not the Christian faith at all. <laughs> uh, so a little bit more sophisticated I approach, what I'll call religion 201, would be the idea that if I'm good, then... I don't know what's going to happen now, but later on I'll go to heaven. So if I, if I am a good person, if, if the good outweighs the bad, I don't know what's going to happen now because this is sort of a crazy world, but I do know that when I die, things will be better. Okay? So that's, just, that's classic religion. There's a third category that says, if I'm good and I believe then things will be well for me after I die. Okay. So if, I'm, if I do good things, if I go to church, if I take communion, if I lead a Bible study, if I volunteer at pads, if I do, well, I do these things, and I sort of honor God by believing in him, I check that sort of belief box, then I'm in a good spot. Okay. So this is, I talked about this at, at uh, uh, Palm Sunday. This is, Classic Pelagianism. Okay? So this has always been around. This belief has always sort of floated around the church. And Augustine is the one that said to Pelagius, Pelagius, God bless you for wanting to be good and holy and trying to be good and holy. You're right to want to do that. But you have to understand, that's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith says, faith equals Salvation plus good works. Faith, trust in Christ, 
accepting God reaching down to us in Jesus, accepting Jesus, putting our confidence down, our weight down there, equals forgiveness, eternal life, salvation, plus good works. The good works are part of the equation. Please hear that. I don't want you to think that good works don't matter. They matter. They matter to the person you're helping. They matter to God. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But the good works come not on the side of the equation that says, if I do enough good works, I'm going to be okay. The good works flow out of an understanding. I'm a broken person. (laughs) I am not qualified. I'm not tall enough to ride this ride. I can't get to heaven on my own. But God is loving and gracious and kind. And Jesus will die in my place. He takes my sin and, and this is a free gift that I get. And because I've been given this gift, I want to I be as much like Jesus as I can be. I want to serve other people. I want to I be part of this kingdom now. I want to lean into the things that he calls me to. Not so that God will be pleased with me. No, I get that I'm broken. I'm getting what I don't deserve, and it's out of that that I want to. I want to love and serve others. That is the Christian faith. So, I'll close with these two questions. They're classic questions. They were big 30 years ago. Um, and they tell a lot. So, I'm not asking you to write out your answers and mail them in, but, but just think about how you would answer them. The first question is, if you were to die today, do you know you'd go to heaven? Okay, so if you were to die today, do you know you would go to heaven? If your answer is, I think so, or I hope so, then I got to say, wrong answer. Okay? In 1 John 5, uh, John writes, and says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? And the reason I am in particular saying it's the wrong answer is because I can imagine how you're going to answer the next question. So if I say, if you die tonight, you know that you go to heaven. You go, I, I hope so. Then I say, well, why would you say, what would you say to God if he said, why should I let you into heaven? Which is the second question. What would you say to God if God said, okay, why should I let you into heaven? If you say, I hope so, then you're going to say, I, I think I've done enough. I've tried to be good. I, I did these things, right? Okay. That's the wrong answer. <laughs> That's saying, I'm better than the people who aren't going to make it. As opposed to the right answer, which is, have mercy on me. I'm not qualified in myself, but I'm with him. (laughs) I'm not a member of this club, but he is, and I'm coming as his guest. Jesus is my Savior. If you look at me, I'm disqualified. But if you look at me and you see him, I'm in. And and I'm with him. I'm, I'm all in with him. And I'm sorry for all the ways that I continue to fail to get it right. But I'm with him. So this is about him. It's not about me. That is the Christian faith. And that's why uh, we come to the communion table to remind ourselves over and over that this all pivots around Jesus and his death. That that's what changes everything. He died in our place. He gives us his righteousness. So let me pray for us.
Father, I want to start by confessing um, to being a Pharisee, and I want to offer that confession on on behalf of others who I suspect uh, would see that in their own lives as well. So, we want to do good. We want to be better. We're trying to move down that path. Help us to do all those things without uh, thinking that it's about us. So we confess that we often get that wrong. And Lord Jesus, the second thing I want to do is I want to uh, offer some guidance to those who want to be able to answer the questions the right way, but may not be able to do that right now. So if I'm speaking to you, by the way, I just want to encourage you just quietly, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but in the sort of the calmness and the quietness of your own heart, to, to, to pray a prayer very similar to the one I prayed 30 years ago, and that is to say, Heavenly Father, I, I, I get it a bit. I see things a little bit more clearly. I'm not as good as I thought I was, and I can't be as good as I want to be. And I confess that. I am broken. I am sinful. And I'm frustrated by it. And I want your help. And I'm asking for your mercy. And Lord Jesus, I get that you did live a perfect life. Uh, and I am, I am clinging to you. So I am confessing my sin. I am admitting that I'm not who I want people to think I am. I'm not who I act like I am. I'm broken. And I need, God, your mercy and your grace. And so I call out for that, and I I move towards Jesus. I'm putting my weight down to be one of his followers. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, receiving me. Guide me, direct me, help me to become more like you, to do the good works out of gratitude and an understanding of how loving your Father is. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.